Hey, and thanks for taking the time to listen with us here at Gospel Way as we seek to find rest in Christ. Please know that this is supplemental and does not replace your local church or the pastor that God has given to shepherd your soul. But it is our prayer that God will use these resources to bless you and point you to Jesus. Recapping what he said in the previous section of this chapter, but what he's actually going to do in these verses moving forward is he's going to start speaking directly to the stronger brother. And again, I kind of pointed this out at one point in time in verse number, five, or verse number 1 of chapter 15. He said, we then that are strong. So what Paul actually does here is he takes verse number 13 down through the rest of the chapter and he begins to speak to those who are not bound by specific things. But he's prefacing all of this. So he starts out in chapter 13. He says, Let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. I know I am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him is unclean. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, walkest thou not in charity? Destroy not him with meat for whom Christ died. Um, it, was, it was actually Martin Lloyd-Jones, which I found ironic, but he said that verse number 15 of this chapter was one of the most difficult texts for him to unpack. He couldn't quite figure out what Paul was saying in that text. But he came to the conclusion that we'll come to tonight that he's, he's, basically, he's basically putting all of this section in light of what Christ has done. So he starts out, he says, Let us therefore judge one another no more. He's speaking to the stronger the rest of this chapter. And he's, he's saying to those who are weaker and to those who are stronger in light of verse number 10, 11, and 12. He said, let us judge no more, but judge this rather. He said, so what we're going to do is we're going to move away from our judgments. We're going to stop judging other people and we're going to judge ourselves. And we're going to get into how that kind of falls into place. But one of the things that I do want to again preface with is the distinction that Paul is giving here is liberty in defiance of love. See, Paul's not just saying, hey, no matter what it is that you have, give up everything that you do and everything that you can be because you might offend somebody somewhere without knowing. What Paul's speaking to specifically is a group of people that had lain aside love to pick up their liberty. And that's what we'll be looking at tonight in these three steps. It's, it's not a, hey, I got to make sure I don't do this and don't do this and don't do this and don't do this and don't do this so that I'm not offending anybody. I'm not causing anybody to stumble. But he's talking about intentional liberty. It's an active liberty. And again, we'll kind of follow that thought through the text. What Paul does, first of all, he says, don't lay traps for your brother in verse 13. He says, don't grieve your brother, verses 14 and 15. And he says, don't set your brother on the wrong path 
in verse number 15. I did want to add another point in there. I didn't, but there's one point that I wanted to add in verse number 14 that was going to say there's no black and white things, only black and white people. But I didn't for obvious reasons. But we'll kind of get into some of that. Um, He says, don't lay traps in verse number 13. He says, we're going to judge something different. He says, but judge this rather that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. Basically what Paul is saying here to the stronger brethren, he's saying, if you see the grace of God, if you understand that you have liberty to do certain things, make sure that you're not taking this liberty as a stumbling block to somebody else. And and again, Paul is speaking in intentional language here. He's saying to lay not a stumbling block and to not put an occasion to fall in your brother's way. And again, these are intentional things. You don't cause a brother to stumble unintentionally. You don't lay a trap for somebody unintentionally. And, and just to preface again what Paul's saying, I don't believe Paul is looking and saying you do this on purpose, but he's wanting them to recognize and in turn wanting us to recognize that there are things that we need to judge to make sure that we're not actively doing something that we shouldn't actively be doing. And again, I'm, I'm, hopefully I've prefaced that well enough, but I'm going to try to unpack that in these verses. Verse number 13, he says, not to lay a stumbling block. The language that Paul uses here is an active language. It means doing it right now. He says, judge this rather. When Paul says judge this rather, he basically could be saying, stop what you're doing and right now judge these things that you are doing. He's saying, just stop everything and let's judge what you're doing right now. Judge those things that you're actively doing to make sure that it's not putting a stumbling block in your brother's path. So it's an urgency to get off of a push for liberty against other people and to make sure that we are displaying love over liberty. The word that Paul uses here for stumbling block is is an interesting word. So if we were to look through what this word stumbling block means, it's the same word that they would have used in that day. And you can find this throughout some of the other texts in Scripture. But it's the same word that they would use for the trigger on a snare. So I know, I know we've, we've, most of us at least may have seen the, uh, the cartoon. It came out when I was, I was really young, I think. But the fox and the hound. For all intents and purposes, it's just a really bad movie because it, it should have turned out all different, and we all know that. But... <laughs> During that movie, one of the things that I remember as a kid was the bear trap that the man laid. He's out there laying bear traps so he can catch a fox. He's laying other traps so he can catch a bear. So he's laying all these things. And if, if, you, if you remember it like I do, he lays this one and he takes a stick and he's basically showing his dog how this trap is going to work. And he takes a stick and he goes and he goes and then he hits the middle of that trap and the claws come up. And you see what it is that's going to trigger the trap. There's a little piece in the middle that when the bear was to step on it, or the fox was to step on it, that it would come up and it would trigger that trap. 
just like any other, whether it be a rabbit trap that you put out somewhere else, there's a trigger to every trap, even a mouse trap. You put whatever it may be, peanut butter or cheese, on that trigger, and when that trigger is touched, unbeknownst to the, the, the animal that's coming after that, there is something that is going to trap them. And that's, in essence, the language that Paul is using. He's saying there are things that are objectively fine, but subjectively, or the perception of these things, are not okay. And that's why he goes into what he says in verse number 14. He said, make sure you're not laying a trap, and he's going to explain himself. He said, I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. And again, Paul is using that objective and perceptive language. Paul's saying, I understand because of what I've seen in Christ, and some of you understand because of what you've seen in Christ, that a lot of things that they are telling you are unclean or they're not doing because they say they're wrong are not really wrong. That's what Paul says here in the text. He says, I know and am persuaded that Nothing is unclean of itself. He's saying these meats that y'all have been discussing, these days that you've been discussing, none of these things are wrong or right to do in and of themselves. But he says in the latter part of that verse, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. And again, he's using objective and perceptive language. He's saying, you know this is fine, but your brother does not understand that it's fine. That's, that's in essence what Paul's saying. So he's saying don't be a grief to your brother by pushing your liberty in front of them in an unloving way. He basically reinstates that it's not the item necessarily that is wrong, for you, but what those other people are going to see is the intent. And that's what becomes wrong for them. And that's what Paul is going to get into. He's going to start speaking to their conscience. He's going to say, it is wrong for you to have someone go against what their conscience says. And that's what he says in verse number 15. He says, but if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably. He says, if your meat, and he's using that for an example, but if your liberty grieves your brother, and what that grief is talking about, it's a grief of conscience. He says, if your liberty grieves your brother, then you are not walking in a way that is loving. And Paul, even in verse number 14, he's, he's, again, he's not... He's not saying that there are upper class things and lower class things like they had already put in place. He's saying there's not things that the spiritual do are up here and things that the unspiritual do are down here. All of these things are neither clean nor unclean, but your perception of them is what is deciding your mind. And that's why he mentions this aspect of us walking charitably. 
He says, make sure you're not laying a trap that will hurt your brother. In essence, again, looking in the first part of verse number 15, if thy brother be grieved, in essence, don't make your brother act against their conscience. And I want to use an example here that is typically, I guess, seen in a, in, in a, in a, different, in a, in a couple different ways. But... Don't misunderstand what I'm getting ready to say. One of the ways that we could look at this ourselves is to look at things like tobacco or alcohol. There is definite and exact text in the scriptures that we understand that drunkenness is absolutely wrong. But there aren't texts that say if you take a drink of alcohol, you are sinning. We understand even from Proverbs that even Proverbs says, if you do start doing this, this is not wise. Why? Because it can cause you problems because it is a quick path to drunkenness. If I pick up a joint of marijuana after church tonight, there is nothing inherently wrong with me picking up that joint of marijuana, but it can inherently lead me to something that is wrong. And what Paul is saying, and I'm using that for an example, because what Paul is saying, if, if we were to back up and say we are convinced, and I'm, I'm absolutely convinced in my conscience that it is not wrong to drink a glass of wine at the end of a meal once a week. I don't, but let's, let's for example's sake, say that I did that. It doesn't cause me to get drunk, and in my conscience, I believe this is okay. So for me, I don't believe it's, I don't see anywhere in scripture where it says it's a sin to drink alcohol once a week with your meal. So I'm okay with it. But what Paul is saying is you don't need to act in a way that's going to trap or grieve your brother's conscience. So take this, take this a step back. Here, that's what I believe about this. Again, using this example, I'm drinking a glass of alcohol once a week. Well, I have a brother of mine who carries the baggage that we talked about a few weeks ago. He was an alcoholic before he got saved. And because he was an alcoholic, he knows himself that if he desires that temptation, it is sinful for him because it will lead to drunkenness in his life. Or in his family, he knows people that, hey, I saw my dad, he was a drunk, and because of that, this is sinful. I saw what it produced in his life, so I believe this is sinful. That's in essence what these two, some saw me, it was sinful. Some saw me, it wasn't sinful. What Paul was saying is you do not need to be the one that causes your brother to go against their conscience for the sake of your liberty. And that's why we entitle this love greater than liberty. Paul's in essence explaining to them what, what they were doing. And again, going back to that same example, it would be the same as me saying a glass of alcohol is fine. And say Brother Charles was in that position where he was a drunkard and his family was a drunkard and he is 100% against alcohol. And he has just gotten saved and he may be lacking some of the knowledge of the grace of God. And I bring him over to the house and he in his heart believes alcohol is wrong. And I understand this because I know his background. And I start trying to push that glass of wine on him. It's fine. It's fine. Don't worry about it. You're fine. It's fine. In his heart, he doesn't believe it is. But he's saying, well, 
He's been saved for 15 years. He's a good member of the church. He's active. He loves the Lord. And he thinks this is fine, so I'm going to drink it because he thinks it's fine. But he has grieved his own conscience. He's gone against what he believes about that. And that's what Paul is saying. When he's using this language of a trap, he's saying don't put something in your brother's path that is going to trip them and trap them up. Because you know the background that he comes from and you know that maybe it's not wrong to have that glass of alcohol with your meal, but you know what it could do to him. And that's what was happening here. There were men who were pushing this meat in front of people and it was grieving their consciences so that they thought, well, if I felt like this was a sin and he's doing it so it's not really a sin, then all this other stuff that I think is a sin must not be a sin either. And it pushed people in the wrong direction, which leads us to don't lead your brother down the wrong path. Paul uses some language here, again, that is interesting, and specifically in verse number 15 towards the end. He says, if you do this, if you grieve your brother's conscience, if you are using your liberty, those things that you believe and you're pushing them on your brother... You're not walking in love. The word that love for love that Paul uses here is, and we've all heard this, but it's the word agape. Agape and philia are the two main words that the scripture uses for love. And it's not an intensity of love, but a way that that love is originated. So the agape is a volitional or an intentional or a specific love, whereas filio is an emotional love. The reason that the word love, agape, is always used by God to us because it's an intentional love. God's saying, I don't have an emotional love for you. I'm not feeling like I love you today and don't feel like I love you tomorrow. That's not the love that God has for us. It's intentional. He purposely has said, I loved the world, so I sent my son. God was intentional in those things. And Paul is saying, I don't want you to look around at the group with you and think, well, this person, me and him get along. I feel like I love him. But this other guy, man, he just rides my nerves. So I'm going to be loving and not push my liberty on this guy that I like, but I don't care what this other guy thinks. Paul's saying, that's not the way to do it. He's saying your love needs to be volitional, needs to be intentional. You need to be looking around at everyone in your path, every one of your brethren, and understand that you need to be intentional in your love for them. The same way that you're being intentional in pushing your liberties on everyone, you need to be intentional not judging whether they're right or wrong or not judging whether that is right or wrong, but judging whether you're loving rightly or wrongly. And it's, it's in essence what Paul is saying. So he says, I want you to specifically, he said, you're not walking charitably. You're not loving people intentionally. You're loving them emotionally. You're not intentionally and volitionally loving these people. He said, I want you to love them in the way that you're walking. And by doing what they were doing, he said, it's not. And he goes in and explains what is going to happen to these brethren when the stronger brethren act this way. He said, destroy not him with thy meat whom for whom Christ died. 
The word destroy here is the same word that we read throughout the entirety of the New Testament for perish. When John 3.16 it says, For God so loved the world, whoever believes on Him shall not perish. It's the same word. Now Paul is not saying that you are going to cause your brother to go to hell. He's not, he's not taking a shot at the eternal security of the believer because that's not contingent on us. It's contingent on Christ. But what Paul is saying is you are going to point them down the path that all of these other people who are perishing are going down. When we look around and we see the path, the broad way that the Bible talks about that leads to hell, he said you in trapping your brother are leading your brother saying, look, we understand that Christ walked the narrow way for us, but it's fine. Just go back down the narrow way. Jesus is just simply a toll booth on the Broadway, and you're good. He said that's what you're doing to people. You're not pointing them to Christ. You're pointing them back to hell. Again, not that they're going to hell, but their, their direction is going to a path of ruin. It is going to destroy your brother's life if you put this trap in his way. If you teach him to go against his conscience, you are going to ruin him. And that's why he uses that language for judge again. He's saying, make sure that you are not putting things in the pathway of others that are going to point them in the wrong direction. Paul in 1 Corinthians, he speaks to, if me offend my brother, I will not eat meat all the day long. What Paul's saying, he's, he wasn't even necessarily saying that he was going to give up meat, but he's saying, I'm not eating meat in front of these people because they don't believe like I do. If we go back to our illustration, if I don't believe alcohol is wrong, I ought not be going down to the bar to drink alcohol, and I ought not be pushing alcohol on my brother. If I'm going to do this, I need to be doing this where it's not going to cause a brother to fall. And that's what Paul was saying with me. He said, if you're going to eat meat, don't go out pushing meat on your brother. Don't go out just displaying that you eat meat everywhere across everything. And some of that he talks about in 1 Corinthians. But do it so that you are not acting in an unloving way. And he finishes this up really by, by drop kicking, if you want to say it that way, the thought process behind these people. Paul uses Christ to emphasize what he's saying. He's saying, don't do this with meat. Don't destroy him with meat. Don't ruin him with meat. Don't point him down the way of the perishing with meat for whom Christ died. And in a sense, Paul is saying, your brethren, but even more than that, Paul is saying, Jesus himself was willing to lay down his life for the weak. Are you not at least willing to lay down your meat in front of your brother? For the same reason, he's saying, if you are stronger and you understand the grace of God, you understand that Christ, while you were yet sinners, died for you. He laid down his robe of glory. That's what he says in John. 
He set his glory aside so that he could become the God-man for the weaker brethren. All of us. We were all weaker. He did that for us. Are we not willing to lay aside liberty here and liberty there in the face of a brother who doesn't believe that those things are right? Paul is saying if you're going to walk in the way of love, if you're going to walk the way that Christ walked for you, and again, he points us in clear picture of the gospel. He says if you're going to display Christ to those who are your brother, he said forget that. And obviously we don't, he's not saying forget the world completely, but he's saying don't even, we're not even bringing the sinful into this. He said if you're going to treat your brother the way that God treated you, are you going to destroy him with something that doesn't matter? Are you going to cause him to ruin over something that at the end of the day doesn't matter? Something that fed your flesh? Something that you preferenced? Are you willing to destroy your brother for that? Going back to the illustration, are, are you willing over a glass of alcohol once a week to destroy a brother? Is it worth that? I think we would all say it's not. We could all agree that it's not worth destroying a brother over a preference over something that we don't believe is wrong. And again, I, I want to make sure that, that I've prefaced again, Paul is not talking about accidental things here. Paul is talking about intentional things. He's not saying, well, you better never drive a new car because you're going to offend a brother who has another car. That's not what he's saying. He's not talking about things that are offhanded. He's speaking to intentional things. So there's a few questions that this ultimately brings us to ask. So if we're going to walk in the way of liberty, the questions that we need to begin to ask ourselves when we come to these things, number one, if we come to an, a matter of liberty, if we come to something that we think is fine, but we know that a brother of ours does not think is okay, we need to look at that thing and say, not how is this thing going to affect me, but how would it affect a weaker brother? Again, to use the example, it's not how is this alcohol going to affect me, but how is it going to affect a weaker brother if he sees this? If I'm promoting this in front of him, how is it going to affect him? Is it going to make him want to deny his conscience? Is it going to make him go against things that he believes is wrong in other places? It's not about me. It's about our brother. And that is love, is it not? When we take our eyes off of ourselves and by looking to Christ, and that's what, that's what the gospel does. The gospel teaches us to take our, our eyes off of ourselves and look to Christ. But that ought to not only put our direction to Christ outside of ourselves, but it ought to let everything flow outside of ourselves. We ought not be taking, looking to the love of Christ and only internalizing all of it, but it ought to flow out of us. And that's what Paul is saying, correctly understood. We are looking at our brethren and those around us in love more than we are looking at ourselves. Going even further than that, Paul is basically saying to us, what you do is not so much about something or what you don't do isn't so much saying something about you as what it's saying to someone else. And again, Paul is using that, he's using that same idea. We're not internalizing saying, well, if I do this liberty, what are people going to say about me? 
That's the wrong way to look at it. Paul's saying, he's not saying to those, those Gentiles, and this is where we have to take, again, make that distinction. He's not saying, well, what is the brother who is, what is the Pharisaical brother going to say about me? If I do this, what is this Pharisaical brother going to say about me? That's not what Paul's saying here. He's not speaking to Pharisaical brothers. What he's saying is, my thought needs to be, if I'm going to do this, what's it going to do to those who are weaker? He's pointing it outside of us. It's not about our testimony of ourselves, but it's our testimony to someone else. And that's where we, again, we have a tendency to get it wrong. We look at trying to uphold our own testimony so that we can do X, Y, and Z, so that we don't ruin X, Y, and Z, so that, that nobody looks at us in a bad way. Nobody sees us fall. The Bible is full of men who fail. But the point with all of them, and ultimately the point we see with Christ, is the focus is taken off of them and pointed on to what other people say. We go to Philippians. Paul says about himself, he says, There are people who are preaching the gospel in contention against me. Paul is in prison and he's basically saying, There are people who are saying Paul is wrong. He should be in prison. He's wrong. He got it completely wrong. There are other people who are saying, no, Paul's right. Paul is, is right in what he did. Paul said, I don't care if they like me or if they don't like me. The gospel's going out, and I'm happy about that. That was his, his attitude toward those that said things towards him or about him, but Paul was concerned about what he was doing, saying things to other people. That's why he confronted Peter, because Peter was worried about what people were saying about him, and in worried about what people were saying about him, he was saying things to weaker brethren that was going to hurt them. That's why Paul confronted Peter. It wasn't because he disagreed with Peter inherently. It was because Peter was saying something to a weaker brother because he was so concerned about himself. So those questions that we ask, we have one how, not how does it affect me, but how does it affect a brother? Number two, not is this about me, but is it displaying something that it should or shouldn't be to another brother? And then there's four questions kind of in contained or I guess statements that I want to make concerning that and I'll be done. Number one, if we're going to walk lovingly, we need to understand that love does not judge over non-essentials. And this is kind of a summary of the text from last week and this week because they go together. But love does not judge over non-essentials. So if we have those who are stronger than us or those who are weaker than us, Paul's saying, don't judge those non-essentials. Judge yourself. Is that not what he said? He said, he said everybody's going to give an account of themselves. We talked about that last week. He's saying, don't worry about everybody else. Judge yourself and everything else. Is going to fall right into place. So love doesn't judge over non-essentials. It's not looking at somebody across the room from us and saying, well, they don't do things like I do, and I'm judging them because of that. That's not how we walk in love. Number two, love does not lay what may be a trap in his brother's way. And again, intentionality. Love does not take liberty and lay something in a brother's way that is going to trip him up. Number three, love does not cause a brother to violate his conscience. 
It is not loving for us, whether we believe it's right or wrong, to call someone to violate their conscience in Christ. Paul told us if, that there are aspects of this where if we have liberty, we are to bring the weaker under us and promote their faith. But we can promote a weaker brother's faith without damaging his conscience. Can I be completely honest here? If I am building someone up in the gospel, God is producing fruit in them. He's bringing them to the knowledge of himself. I don't have to try and do that. So if I'm going to be loving to a weaker brother, I ought to be going to him with the gospel, teaching him the grace of Christ, instead of saying, what are you doing wearing those pants in the winter? You could be wearing shorts. It's absolutely fine. You are being stupid. I'm not doing that because that's not walking lovingly. It's not, why in the world are you so against alcohol? It's okay to have a glass up here and a glass there as long as you don't get drunk. That's not loving. None of these things are walking lovingly because you are trying to make your brother violate his conscience. And again, I'm using these things for examples, but I think we can all understand the point that Paul's making. Build them up in faith, not in liberty. And that's, again, that's the tendency that we have. Whenever we start to see the, at least with me, maybe it's not anybody else. When you start to see the liberty that you have in Christ, you start wanting to push that on other people. I have done this. I have straight up, intentionally done this. I won't go, if you want to to know examples, come talk to me sometime. I'll tell you exactly what I've done that was against what Paul is saying here. Trying to push liberty on people who need to see the grace of God in the gospel. We flip it. Just like we try and push legalism on people without letting them see the grace of God in the gospel. Because we make it about us. It's all about us. Not about the grace of God. It's about what I've seen or what I know or the rules that I have or the rules that I don't have. But it's not loving to make a brother go against his conscience. And then lastly, love does not insist on on liberty at the risk of pointing a brother to destroying himself and or his faith. Again, we're not talking about eternal security. But I think we all can look back in our lives and see people whose faith was destroyed. If you talk to them today... Some of this even came up Wednesday night. I think it was last Wednesday night. If you talk to them today, they may not be in church. They may not even in their mind believe that what they've always believed is right or wrong because their faith was ruined. Somebody came in, laid a trap in front of them, not caring about them specifically, and ruined their faith. If you say to them, how are you getting to heaven? They will tell you, I just, I'm trusting Christ. They're explicit about that. They know what they're doing. But you look around and what, again, we may have the tendency to do is say, well, you're not checking this and checking this and checking this and checking this. So obviously you're not really a Christian because you're not lining up to all of these things. But they'll tell you you where the faith is at. But their walk was ruined because somebody pointed them down the path of destruction. Somebody wasn't walking lovingly and ruined their faith. 
And that's, that's the call of Paul. He's saying, instead of trying to grab hold of your liberty that you found in Christ and run actively towards your liberty, grab hold of the love of God that He's displayed to you and run directly into the face of that love. Everything that you do needs to be looked through the lens of love. And we've talked about this again and again and again. I know it's been said, but it's almost like the same person wrote the whole thing. What were the, what were the Pharisees doing in John 5? He said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. They were all mad at him. And Christ said, if you had a, if you had a sheep that fell into a pit on the Sabbath, you would get him out. And you are saying that because I healed somebody on the Sabbath, that I'm a blasphemer. That's what was happening in John 5. Because they had stopped looking at things through the lens of love. Because that's why God made the Sabbath was love. God said it was for you, not you for it. And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying look around at things through the lens of love, not the lens of liberty. You have picked up this lens of liberty in seeing the grace of God. But you are not to look at the world around you and especially not to the brethren around you with this lens of liberty over your face. He said we're not substituting that lens of the love of God. We're not substituting love for other people so we can pick up this liberty and do whatever we want. Galatians, Philippians, and Corinthians speak to this explicitly. These same things were going on in all of the churches in the New Testament and I hate to break it to everybody, but the same things are going on in all the churches in Rowan County in North Carolina, the U.S. and across the world, because we haven't changed. We're the same people that Paul was talking to there. We're the same depraved, messed up people. We do the same things. But that's why we can take this same passage of Scripture that was written specifically to a group of Roman people back in about 60 A.D. and apply it to our lives because we're exactly like they are. We're no different. We see the grace of God and we're ready to pick up that liberty and roll out the door with it. Well, Paul is saying, see the grace of God. Don't take your eyes off of the grace of God. It's not about you. It's about what He's done. It's not about what you get to do. It's about what He's done for you. All of these things promote gospel-focused, centered, and driven living. Because that's what the gospel does. Real quickly, and we'll close. Paul wrote the book of Romans to be a forerunner for him. What he wanted to do was he wanted to lay all of the groundwork that he needed to lay before he got to Rome. His intention was, and we know from Scripture, his intention was to go all the way to Spain. He wanted to lay out churches all the way to Spain. And he said, I'm going to write the letter of Romans to be a forerunner for me. So when I get there, they already, I don't have to roll through all this teaching, all the churches that are already teaching what I've said. I don't have to try and push my, my, my authority as an apostle on them because they already have my words. That's what we've got to understand. Paul was trying to teach them these things before he got there. There's a reason that he goes through 11 chapters of what the gospel does in your life. And Paul's call to us, if we can put it that way, the rest of the book, don't take your eyes off of the gospel. 
Don't take your eyes off of grace and put them anywhere else. Whether you are putting them on legalistic ideas or you are putting them on liberty that you have found, pull it off of all those things and look at Christ. Again, because what did he say? He said, nothing's clean or unclean inherently. It's clean and unclean to those who are around you. Look at Christ. Run to Him. Display that love to other people. And we won't have a problem with this. When we get our eyes off of Him and start to grab hold of our liberty instead of grabbing hold of His grace, this is what happens. We start to ruin people. We start to push people down a path that they don't need to be going down. And may God help us just to focus on Him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to be in your house tonight. 